Bright Ideas for Your Business with Amy Blaine, the show that takes you around the world to share interviews with some of the most successful and relevant people on the planet. Hear their stories and get the most important business lessons they have learned on their road to success and get exclusive advice on how to implement their success into your life and business. Bright Ideas for Your Business with Amy Blaine is brought to you by the Strategic Advisor Board and your host, Amy Blaine. Hi, this is Amy Blaine with Bright Ideas for Your Business. Today I'm interviewing Jonathan Romaine, and he is a, an artist, but he also has founded an organization called Art Inc., which stands for Artists, artists Reenvisioning Tom Tomorrow, Tomorrow in my local hometown of Peoria, Illinois. And today we're going to talk about uh, your background and mm -hmm. the fact that when you first started as an artist, um, you realized soon thereafter that you really had to learn about the business of art mm -hmm. also, not just the creative element of mm -hmm. it. So if you could maybe just start out with, I know you're not from Peoria originally, mm -hmm. um, kind of your backstory, how you ended up in Peoria, how you got into art, and how you decided that yeah. you really needed to learn about the business part of it. And well, now, you know, if I start with the backstory, that's going to be the story. <laughs> it always turns out that way. Um, but this is the backstory. I grew up in Chicago on the west side and was involved with all of the things that take place in most inner cities across the country. Um, <clears throat> started going to jail around 10 or 11 years old. Wow. Uh, for just petty crimes and continued most of my young adulthood and just barely made it out of high school, graduated at the bottom 10% of my high school class. But as I was approaching my graduation, reality hit me. And I was like, man, what am I getting ready to do with the rest of my life? Mm -hmm. And so on a whim, I said, maybe I'll go to college. And I talked to my guidance counselor and she looked at my transcripts and she said, where do you want to go? I said, I think I want to go to Bradley because Bradley was the only college I knew anything about uh, because you know I lived in Peoria for a few years as a kid. Okay. And she said, I don't know if that's gonna, I don't know if that's gonna work. <laughs> and so that was the end of that conversation and discouraged I left and Looked for another plan because, like I said, it was just on a whim anyway. I hadn't put much thought in it. So I actually decided the next best option was to go to the military. A mm -hmm. uh, best friend of mine was planning on going to the Marine Corps. And so I went over and took the test to go to the Marine Corps. And when I found out I passed, two weeks before I was going to enlist, a friend of mine told me in an inadvertent conversation that anybody can go to college. Go to a junior college, a community college, and it didn't matter what you what you did in high school. And so I made a beeline to Triton, which is a community college outside of Chicago. And sure enough, I found out that I could go to college. So I enrolled that day, forgot about the Marine Corps. And I don't know where this thought came from. But I said, let me call Bradley and see what classes I need to take here so that I could have a smooth transition if I'm able to get in there. Mm -hmm. And I did. And so I took the classes that I knew would be accepted at Bradley. 
And the following year, much to my surprise, I was accepted at Bradley University. And I came down to Peoria. Unfortunately, although I had just removed myself from the ghetto, I didn't remove the ghetto from me. And so while I was at Bradley, I was doing all of the things that I was doing on the west side of Chicago. And that ultimately led to, in my junior year, me being arrested for selling narcotics. I bonded out, fought the case for the entirety of my senior year. And literally two weeks before I was supposed to graduate, I was convicted. The judge allowed me to bond out to graduate, which was unprecedented. Anybody that's convicted of a class, it actually was an enhanced class X felony. They would not typically let you bond out. Mm -hmm. But for the grace of God, they did let me bond out. I graduated and two weeks later, I turned myself in and was given 15 years in prison. Wow. And while I was in prison, just trying to find something to pass the time, I started drawing because I always had a love affair with art since I was a kid. And what I realized in that time was that my art was getting better and better and better. And that's because I had laser-like focus on it, no distractions. I wasn't worried about time, no time constraints, nothing. And, And I was just able to pour into my art. And, and my drawings got better than I could have ever imagined. Because as a kid, I would look at professional artists and would be discouraged. And that's why I never thought about being an artist, because it didn't compare. But when I was in prison and I was able to pour into my art, my art started to look as competitive to me as it ever has in my life. And another sh- fate that took place was a guy by the name of Charles Pruitt was an inmate had just came into the prison and he was an incredible artist. He was knocking out oil paintings in a day. And I would just look at him and marvel. And then he would look at my drawings and he would say, you can do this. And probably after about two or three weeks of him insisting, I ended up buying some oil paints. They would let us order them from our Dick Blick and And I just watched him. And two weeks after me painting along with him, he ended up going to segregation. Uh, And I was like, now on my own. You're all by yourself now. But I I wasn't prepared to stop. And so I just fought through and kept painting and kept painting and kept painting. And I think he might have been in segregation for about a month. And when he came out, he couldn't believe the artwork that I was creating. And it was at that moment in my life that I knew that I was going to spend the rest of my life doing art. I was fortunate enough to be in prison at a time where they cared about that kind of stuff and to be in an institution where the assistant warden who was over programs really cared about it. He was a a black warden. His name is Keith Nelson. He and I are friends today. But he was extremely supportive in the arts in general, but more importantly, in what I was doing. And because I had that support in the system at that time, I was able to really, really, really just buckle down and and do some really good things. Um, 
And, you know, alongside me creating and, and, and learning how to paint more effectively, I was also reading as much as I could about the business of art, uh, how I could come home and actually make a living with my art. And I stumbled onto a, a, an article in one of the art magazines about a guy. I loved his art. He had all of these pictures of his work. His name was Dean Mitchell. And in the article, it talked about how one of his paintings he sold for $40,000. Another one he had sold for $20,000. And I was like, man, you can really make a living doing this. And I was like, I was just hooked. So ultimately, I, I came home from prison and I was on fire. Like, I felt like I had all of the tools that I needed. So how long were you in it. prison? Seven years. Seven years. <clears throat> and when I came out, I came to a work release Mm-hmm. center here in Peoria, and I knew that I did not want to waste my time working at a job that was going nowhere. Mm-hmm. And so I convinced the director of the Work Release Center, John Battles, and in, in, in each one of these names that I named are like angels that were sent to me at different mm-hmm. points in my life. And I convinced John Battles that, you know, I was going to be an artist and I wanted to work at a gallery. And I asked if it would be okay. And, and the, the catch was, you know, when, when I was in the work release center, when you go out and work, a certain percentage of what you make goes back to the work release center. And they call that your maintenance fee. Mm-hmm. But because I was going to work for a gallery and we had came up with an arrangement that I would paint and the gallery would sell my work mm-hmm. and I would get a percentage and he would get a percentage, I wasn't guaranteed to make any money. Sure. And so John Battles agreed to it, and I started working at a gallery in Peoria. A guy had a, a gallery up by the Glen Oak Park, and man, I may have lasted there a month, but I was so frustrated. Um, and I just thought that this guy didn't know what he was doing. Um, I couldn't tell him anything, and I, I reasoned that if this dude could have a gallery, I could have one myself. And so perhaps one of the scariest moments in my life was when I was in the work release center and decided I was going to open a gallery. So, so what did you major in, in Brad? Bradley? Psychology. Oh, right, psychology. <laughs> something super helpful, right? Right, super helpful. You know, a guy <laughs> told me a long time ago, a degree in psychology and a quarter to get you a cup of coffee. <laughs> So the fact that a, co- a cup of coffee was a quarter tells you how long ago that was. Right. <laughs> but, but I, um, man, I ventured off and found me a little storefront. Um, ironically, it's right down the street from where my studio is today. Uh, on Jan- Sheridan. On Sheridan. Um, it was right next door to Janet's Just For You oh, clothing store. exactly where that is. And uh, Janet uh, was another one of those angels early on. She uh, allowed me to rent her space, even though I didn't have any credit. I was going to say, how do you have any money to do that at that point, really? Well, the rent was $300 a month, right? Mm -hmm. And I got a credit card through my mother. And that was going to cover my first months of rent. And from there, I was just going to grind. And now, so my first lesson in business was just because you open up a storefront, doesn't mean you have a business. Right. And so I spent, you know, a few weeks painting this 
uh, little storefront. It was very small, very quaint. Hanging my art up. I got me a little couch. It was so cute. And boy, I couldn't wait to open the doors to this business. And the day I opened the doors, no one showed sound. up. <laughs> no one knew Nobody. you were there. Yeah. Nobody. It was like I was in a desert. And I'm like, man, is anybody going to come in this joint? But now I'm already in. You know? Right. And I, I, there's no turning back. Right. So I pulled out. Yeah, I don't know if you'd be familiar with this. You don't seem like you're old enough. Oh, but it was a little thing. <laughs> but it was a little thing they used to have. They used to give it to everybody. It was called the Yellow Pages. Yeah. Oh, I remember the and Yellow Pages. And I just pages. started going through the Yellow Pages and looking for any opportunity that I thought would make sense. So I was calling other galleries, trying to get them to look at my art, um, and just cold calling. And that's how I started to really build some momentum. Mm -hmm. And just calling people, telling them to come by. And when I say some, I mean a very little momentum, okay? <laughs> the fact that I only had to come up with rent made it easy because I was still in the work release center mm -hmm. and I didn't have to pay Paper. for my, my livelihood. But right. So I think the, the, the breakthrough in my gallery was I, I had a weekend pass and I snuck up to Chicago because there was this gallery in Hyde Park mm -hmm. that I remembered growing up. And he sold all of this beautiful artwork by African-Americans. And so I went there on a Saturday. And when I went into his gallery, I had the art in the trunk, went into his gallery. There was a lot of people walking around, so I kind of waited till it died down. And then I went up to the guy and I introduced him. I said, hi, my name is Jonathan Romaine. I'm an artist. I would love to show you some of my work. And this guy, without a smile or a blink in his eye, he said, I only look at art on Wednesdays. Of course. And like my heart sunk. Wednesday is art day. Like I snuck up here. I can go back to prison for being there. Yeah. And I'm like, is this guy serious? So I said to myself, all right, cool. Do you mind if I look around your gallery? He said, no problem. So I, I looked around this gallery and, and like I was there for like two or three hours, right? Mm -hmm. And I waited till every person left his gallery. Then I went back up to him. His name was Joe Clark. And I said, hey, man, I'm in prison in a work release program. I snuck here from Peoria to show you my art. I can't come back Wednesday. And he was like, how could he say no to that? Yeah. He's like, let me see it, man. So I went to the trunk of my car, brought out the art. He fell in love with it. He ended up buying $500 worth of art on the spot, prints that I had printed. And I left, every month I would come back and he would buy $500 worth of art, every month. So that year, that I had that gallery the first year, Joe Clark literally paid my rent mm -hmm. and all of my utilities. And I ended up moving back to Chicago, opening the gallery in Oak Park uh, in subsequent years. But Joe Clark ended up closing down his gallery, right? And he came to me one day. He had about 300 pieces of art in his gallery. And he was like, Jonathan, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving the business. Are you interested in buying my inventory? I was like, man, Joe, I couldn't afford that. He said, you don't even know what I want. I said, whatever you ask, <laughs> I can't afford it. He said, I'll let you have it for 7000 That wow. was a steal. For 300 pieces of art, yeah. And I told him, Joe, I can't even afford that. He said, I'll let you pay me in installments. I said, are you serious? He said, yeah. I said, done. He got a U-Haul. Delivered all of that art to my gallery in Oak Park. 
And then we went to New York. I'm doing a show in New York. Joe went with me. I took some of the pieces from the collection that he gave me to sell in New York. He actually sold the pieces. And the pieces that he sold were three times more than what he sold me this whole collection for. And I'm talking about five or six pieces of art. And I paid him off and I felt horrible, but he, that's all he wanted. He obviously believed in you. I don't know if it's he that he believed in you. me. He liked me. Mm -hmm. For whatever reason, <laughs> he liked me. And he like did something that was like miraculous for me. Uh, and I'll never forget that. So fast forward, you know, I uh, ended up moving out of Oak Park to Wicker Park, opening the gallery there. And after 10 years in Chicago, I was like, I'm tired of this gallery thing because I was making a lot of money in the gallery and it's costing me a lot of money to operate this gallery. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm successful and at the same time, I'm unsuccessful. You know, if I don't make $100,000, $150,000 a year, I couldn't even eat. And so I was like, I'm, I'm done with the gallery. It's stressful. Yeah. So I actually was looking for a house in Chicago, which, which would have been big enough for me to work in and to live. And during that time, I came back to Peoria to visit my sons. And it just, it was an aha moment. It was your My sons are here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can live in Peoria. The, the, the real estate is inexpensive. I mean, I can get something way bigger here than I could in, in Chicago. So I, I found a house in Peoria, moved back here to be closer to my sons. And then, you know, shortly after moving into a house, it was like 4,000 square feet. I quickly realized it wasn't big enough uh, because my last gallery was 4,000 square feet. Mm -hmm. And trying to compress all of that in the house and to live in it just didn't work. So I started looking for something else. And I was looking for more like a warehouse space. And I stumbled onto the building on Sheridan. And it was 15,000 square feet. And they didn't want anything for it. Yeah. And it needed a lot of work, but that was okay. So I ended up buying it, moving into that, uh, moving all my stuff in there. And because it was so big, I'm thinking, man, I could probably do something else in here other than just the art. And, you know, since I've come home from prison and had, you know, a, 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 a modicum of success, I've been inundated with people wanting me to speak. Mm -hmm. And every time I go speak to young people, I always felt like they wanted more, but I only could give them an hour. So in the back of my mind, there was always this thing about what can I do to have a more sustained impact on some of these young people? particularly the young people that are going down the road that ultimately led me to prison. Mm -hmm. Those were the ones that I was really sensitive about. And um, I um, tried to do the nonprofit in that building, but the building was just, it was big, but I like consumed all of it with my operation. Mm -hmm. and, and I didn't want to give up any parts of what I was doing from the framing to the packaging, to the creation, to the showing. And so I, I, I put that on hold. And then I met a young lady in Chicago at an art show. And I don't know what it was, but when she came into my booth, boy, she didn't leave. <laughs> and I, I felt like that was a sign from God. <laughs> and, and I met my wife. <laughs> and she 
throughout her life has always had the same calling to help young people as I've had. And so one day I'm driving by this old building and I saw a sale sign on it. But before that, I was invited to speak at a church in Bloomington. And the guy had bought an old building in Bloomington. And that's where he used what he used as a church. And so when I spoke there, after I spoke, I was like, man, this was a big undertaking. And he was like, no, it really wasn't. He said, man, they practically give these schools away. Trying to keep them up is the challenge. Mm -hmm. I said, just out of curiosity, what did you pay for it? And I don't remember what he said, but it wasn't a significant amount of money. And then a friend of mine invited me to go to a, another school in Peoria, the old Blaine okay. school, a guy named Tim Kruger. They were trying to turn it into a business incubator. And, and I found out what they paid for it. And it was like, this, these schools are cheap. So yeah, the school districts aren't using them anymore. They don't really them, want right. them. They want and I think the average person wouldn't think that. Mm -hmm. You know, you would think that this is like a lot of money, right? Mm -hmm. And so I had to. Re I called a realtor and got a chance to come into this building, and they were asking like one hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars for it, but I wasn't going to pay that based mm -hmm. off of what these other people have paid. Right. So I, I mean, I literally would drive by this building, pull in the parking lot and just sit in the parking lot and think about the possibilities of what could be done here. And that lasted for about six months. And then after I figured out everything that I wanted to figure out in my head, then I was ready to make a move in the direction of trying to get this. But the first step was obviously uh, running it by the wife. And, you know, I thought she was going to, say, man, are you crazy? And I would have to convince her. And, you know, I was trying to come up with all of my arguments for it and why it would be a good idea. And then as soon as I told her, she's like, let's do it. And I was like, really? And she's like, let's do it. So I put together a proposal and, 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 and submitted it to the, to the uh, school district. And the guy that I gave it to, he was the accountant, the CFA or something like that. Um, and he CFA. loved it. He came by the studio, we talked, and he was like really shepherding this idea. And then he left Peoria. Mm -hmm. And so it got dropped by the wayside. Um, and I didn't hear any action from the school district. A year passed. Um, then I resubmitted it to the new CFO and not much happened. Another year passes. Then I ran into Dr. Karat at an event in town and said, Doc, I mean, I want that building. You guys are just sitting on it. What's up? She said, I thought you didn't want it anymore. I said, no, I want it. And after that conversation, everything took off. So it was in play. Uh, I offered them 30 grand. And eventually they said, okay, you know, they have to put it up for auction. We won the bid for it. And the school district was gracious enough to let us do our due diligence after we won the bid to make sure that we could follow through with it. So that included getting the zoning change for it, making sure that it was uh, uh, habitable, um, and all of the steps that we needed to take. And they were patient enough to let us do it because I'm sure they didn't want another McKinley on their hand. Well, yeah, you, your intention was to right. help the neighborhood and the students. Right. So obviously right. it was along with their mission. Absolutely, to begin with. absolutely. And so, you know, all of that happened and we ultimately closed on the building 
And then we came in here and then that's when all of the real work started. Sure. You know, we were met with a, a family of bats that had occupied this building probably for years. <laughs> Longer than. Yes. And <laughs> so, you know, the first year of our journey was uh, eliminating bats out of the building. <laughs> um, we didn't have any heat in here. We didn't have any running water. So, you know, we, uh, we would stay in one room and that was the camp. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we would venture out into the building <laughs> and then run back for heat. Well, now, for those people that are not really familiar with Art, Inc., right. and the, the people from uh, the podcast that we're doing this interview mm -hmm. for will have no idea what it's about. Right. So can you give a little, you know, Absolutely. elevator pitch for yeah. what you do with Art, Inc.? Right. So, so what, we, what we do here, what our objective was, was to create a safe space for young people to come in and get inspired, tap into their creativity, but more importantly, to keep them off the street in those most vulnerable hours of the day. From so it gives them six. an option other than sports. Other than sports. Because there are and, a lot of programs for right. that type of other thing. Other than sports and other than the streets. Right. You know what I'm saying? And so, you know, we wanted to make our programming so proficient and so capable that no one in town would be able to match what we're doing. So we've spent a tremendous amount of time and research and effort into coming up with uh, uh, programs that really are different than anything that you will probably see. Well, I note that you do more than just fine art and oh, music and right. dance. Tell yeah. me a little bit about the other things that you so, offer. So, you know, we, 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 we really esteem mm -hmm. uh, not just art. So we, we have uh, science projects that we work with the kids on. We have coding. Uh, we do filmmaking. We uh, have nutritionists come in and, and teach the kids about diet and, and healthy eating. We have the zoo. They bring animals in to the kids. Um, well, I saw that you do like sewing and costume sewing, and fashion. Uh, we do sewing. I mean, yeah, if you name, I mean, we do so many different things. And we touch on so many elements. And what we're really trying to do is to give them a potpourri of the things that are available to them in life. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't know about it, how do you even know to like it? Right. No, if you're interested in it. Right. And mm -hmm. so, you know, we, we, we scratch the surface on a lot of different things. And now as we progress as an organization, what we're doing is tightening up the reins on some specific things that we're going to be doing. And so as the kids develop more and more skills from these peripheral programs, they'll be able to naturally aggregate towards the more specific programs like theater, like dance, uh, like robotics, uh, like uh, coding and things like that. So we're going we're gonna to make it a more robust program. Well, so how many kids and how many volunteers are involved with well, what you're doing? Right now, we have registered about 170 kids, and on a daily basis, we see anywhere between 85 and 130 kids a day. Um, we have a handful of volunteers. I would say our volunteer list is maybe between 5 and 10, but on our payroll, we have slightly under 100 people on our payroll. Wow. That includes about 15 full-time staff, and then we have 
a host of uh, part-time employees, and then a host of contract workers. Okay. Well, yeah. of course, now my next question is, how are you funding that? Because I know that right. a lot of the kids, if they can't afford it's it, free they to all of them. It's, it's free to all of them? Okay. Right, absolutely. So a significant portion of our funding comes from grants. Okay. Uh, the bulk of them being state grants. And then we do a very robust job in fundraising. We do uh, several fundraising uh, things a year. One of our biggest is called Dia de los Muertos. Mm -hmm. And it's this crazy idea that my wife came up with. <laughs> I didn't think it would work. I, I didn't tell her that. I'm like, this is not, I mean, in my mind, I'm saying this lady's crazy. It's not going to work. <laughs> and it turned out to be the best thing since sliced bread. Um, and so we do, we do a nice chunk of, uh, of fundraising at that event. And then, you know, we have other things that we do as well. We have these, uh, we call them kits in the box. So we've researched about 150 activities that we do with okay. the kids. And we I put know them this in a was box. big during COVID. Huge during COVID. And, and some organizations actually buy some from us to use with their kids. Uh, that's one way that we, um, we raise money. And then all of our events, you know, uh, we just had an event. It was called That's What She Said. Mm -hmm. A phenomenal event um, with, you know, incredible women throughout the community coming in, telling about their lives and, and their personal testimonies. Um, that's a fundraiser. Um, and we're just getting better and better at, at doing those things. I think one of the challenges that we face as we move forward is probably diversifying some of our state funding because we get a, a, a huge chunk of money from the state. But we don't want to be solely limited on that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're looking at opportunities to expand beyond that. Um, and, you know, we've been extremely blessed. You know, uh, we have some very competent and capable people working with us from the board on down. Um, well, and I know you have volunteers from some of the arts organizations that come in and work with the kids. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So we get... Um, you have a lot of local arts groups and... We, we get... I don't know about a lot of local no, art few. groups. A few. Uh, yeah, we get, I don't know about the art groups, but we get other entities throughout the community okay. that come in. Like the, the food, uh, the dietitians that come in and work with the kids with the food. That's a volunteer group. We got, we got a gentleman uh, that comes in every day and teaches photography. Um, hmm. We have, uh, I mean, we have, we have some, we have some volunteers. We want to expand on that too, though. Mm -hmm. Uh, we need more volunteers, but we do have, you know, we have an, an, a nice number, but we need more. Well, so yeah. now, I know originally you were doing in-school. You still do that. Okay. And yeah, so, so how many schools do you have? People we, we go to eight schools. Eight? Okay. Um, we, uh, that actually was, was one of the things that we jumped on board before we actually took possession of the building. Mm -hmm. Because uh, my wife, Nikki, she actually talked to Dr. Karat, the superintendent, and said, hey, look, what can we do now preemptively before we actually get the building where we can start working with kids? And so they were operating under a 21st century grant. And she said, hey, you guys can come in and, and teach these programs at, um, at the schools. And so, you know, we started with a handful. We started with two or three of them and that eventually expanded to like eight of them now. And it's continuing to grow. But. I mean, we have, not we, my wife took that Is ball. Is she the one that really 
Oh, she orchestrates uh, that. Yeah, she really. I mean, you know, it's like anybody that wants to teach art in the after school programs in the Peoria Public School District, they come through Art Inc. Okay. And you know, uh, the district has to love what you're doing. Oh, absolutely. Because she does it so effectively. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have had, you know, at, at any given time, 50 or 60 artists that we're sending into the Peoria Public Schools. School District. And we do that simultaneously with what we're doing in this physical location. I see that you're uh, doing a community garden. Is that a new thing? Uh, or That's so bittersweet. <laughs> Why so? Because... Now, you know, I, I didn't want to do it, but my wife I was insisted. I say, let me guess, your wife Right, my wife insisted it. that we do it, and when we first started, I was like, oh my gosh, she comes up with these brilliant ideas. That's a lot of work, I'm guessing. And we had somebody from Illinois State Master Gardens, okay. their program, um, and she was like a phenomenal lady. She took care of that garden like it was her own. And then she moved out of town. Oh. So how and long ago did you start this? Three, four years ago. Oh, okay. We started it in the beginning. Okay. And we got a beautiful name for it. It's called Let Us Share Romaine. <laughs> oh, it was so pretty. We just had these big sunflowers blossoming. And, you know, we would get tomatoes from over there. And we would have people in the community. They would come and pick the... I mean, it was an incredible... An incredible endeavor and then the lady left and it just <laughs> went downhill from there oh I'm sorry so we're looking for somebody that that can do with that garden what we wanted to be done with it we don't have the will well we it's, it's a lot of work it's a lot of work I don't even know how to do it like if I touch <laughs> a plant it just dries up and dies I appreciate gardening but I'm not very good at it myself yeah so no that was a great it was a great um <laughs> Are there any other organizations like this across the country? You know, I don't know if there's anything specifically like this. I do know that when people come in, visitors from out of town, even people that live here who has traveled a lot, they always say that they have never seen anything quite like this. Mm -hmm. Um but for me to say that there isn't anything like this, not that I you're aware know. of. Yeah, mm -hmm. I wouldn't know. And you know, I think about when I was in Chicago, the closest thing that looked like this was an organization called Little Black Pearl. And they started off as an arts organization, but they kind of morphed into something else. And so I don't even think that today they're similar to what we are. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm sure if, you know, if we had an opportunity to really search it out, it has to be something similar to this somewhere because I don't think any idea is new. Right, but there are no. very few people willing to put in the work yeah. and the blood, sweat, and tears, I would think. No, I agree with you. I think that um, you know, when, when, when I tell people about our success, I always tell them that I believe the only reason that we were able to do what seems like the impossible is because of my wife, Nikki. Um, and listen, I'm not even, I'm not even like being funny. Um, she, you know, we had just had a daughter and <clears throat> Nikki wasn't working. She was staying at home with our daughter. So we didn't have an extra income, mm -hmm. right? We weren't relying on that. So the timing was impeccable 
And so when we started this endeavor, she poured everything that she had into this, which meant she spent 60 to 70 hours a week learning everything that she needed to learn about running a nonprofit. She was taking courses online. She was going to uh, organizations that help with starting nonprofits. And I couldn't have done that. Is she your grant writer too? She was in the beginning. We finally got an incredible grant writer. And God bless her. She's another one of our angels. Because I know that's a but key Nikki, part. But Nikki was the grant writer in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Nikki was the everything in the beginning. Um, and without, without her efforts, and that's the beautiful thing, because when I came to her, she was 100% on board yeah. and never wavered. Had she wavered 10%, it wouldn't have made it. It needed 100% of her. And she gave every ounce of her that she could. And that, that, that is the secret sauce in what has made well, this organization. Well, the team of the two of you. you I'm know. just a good janitor. <laughs> I'm a good janitor now. But she has done things that... And then... You know, it's one thing to do the paperwork and the administrative stuff and all the behind the scenes things, right? Mm -hmm. But Nikki doesn't forget a name. I can't tell you how important that is in a, a nonprofit where you have to meet people mm -hmm. and you have to remember them and you have to put all of these dots together. Like she's phenomenal with that. Um, she'll meet you, right? And, and after talking with you and you'll meet her in six months, she'll come up to you, she'll address you by your name, she'll ask about your husband and she knows his name and then she'll talk about the kids, she knows their mm -hmm. names and their birthdays and where they, the hospital that they were born in. And I mean, like, this lady is crazy. She's like a savant almost, man. It's like, whoa, how does she do that? And so I'm she's just, good with people is what you're saying. She's good with, I don't know. I, yeah, she's great with people, but th that memory thing and... Now, let me tell you this. When Nikki moved here, I had already been here. You know, I've been back and forth to Peoria all my life. And I would, I, we would be out and about and someone would come up, hey, how you doing? And I'm like, hey, how you doing? And Nikki would get mad at me because I didn't introduce her. That's because and you like, didn't remember their I name. I don't know. I don't know their name. <laughs> I know how that goes. And she didn't believe me for like a couple of years. She thought I was like lying. <laughs> but eventually she realized that. Okay, so now. Not everybody has that ability. No. no. So now when we go up to people, Nikki will say, oh, hey, how you doing? Say their name so I know. <laughs> she's helping you out now. Yeah, she, yeah she's good with that. Well, yeah. to kind of wrap up. Mm -hmm. this uh, interview, can you maybe give us some advice about if you are an artist? I know about like 98.5% mm -hmm. of artists hate the business part right, of it, right. and that's why they're starving artists, but mm -hmm. they don't have to be. Right. What would you recommend to them to get into the point where they can actually be a very successful right. artist? Because they can have all the talent in the world and have beautiful artwork, right. but if they can't sell it, they're not going to succeed. Well, there's no way to summarize that. I, I realize that's a big question. But I'll start by saying this. We actually do an entrepreneur class here, oh, a workshop. That was a nice segue, wasn't it? It was a great segue. <laughs> and it's actually funded by the Community Foundation. They actually gave us a grant to put on this entrepreneur workshop. We're doing it once a month. And Ooh. it's free to artists. And in that program, I show them all of the things that I've learned over the years that have led to my success as an artist. 
And now just real briefly, in the, as a thumbnail sketch, I would say you have to be good at marketing yourself. And there's ways to do that. It's not as complicated as people think. Well, especially nowadays with social media. And Even before social media. Yeah. Because that's when I started, before social mm -hmm. media. And, and it's, a, it's a formula to it. It's not complicated. It's just, it just takes consistency. You have to be good at sales. And being good at sales means you have to read on how to sell. You have to you have learn to do some how to study. Right, absolutely. You can't just one day wake up and say, I'm going to be a salesperson. It mm -hmm. doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. So part of being a successful artist is also educating yourself on the tools that you're going to need to be mm -hmm. successful. And many of those tools have nothing to do with art. Mm -hmm. So, it, it just in a, as a thumbnail sketch, you have to do the back end of the work. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? It, it's not easy. It's going to require some leg work. It's going to require some effort. But but if you do that, you, you'll you stand it. out among your Absolutely. competitors. And do not get caught up into trying to be a local artist. There is not enough room in any city for you to be a local artist. Yeah. So you have to expand your market as much as you can. Again, especially nowadays with the Absolutely. internet. And that makes it easy for you. That internet makes it a lot easier easy, right? than it did when you started, I'm Absolutely. Sure. But the Entrepreneur Workshop is fabulous for artists. But it's also good for anybody that's getting ready to start a business. Because a lot of the skills that you need to be a mm -hmm. successful artist, you need those same skills to do any, any type business, of business. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, and part of being a successful artist is shifting your mental paradigm to something where you understand that, look, I'm not just being an artist. I'm being a professional artist. And that professional piece is where all of those other things live. Mm -hmm. The sales, the marketing, uh, all of those things that you're going to need to make that art piece work has to be in there. And if you don't have it and if you don't want to get it, then you have to get somebody who has it and wants to get it. Mm -hmm. And it's a trade-off. You know, it's but a you still have to realize you need but it. But it has to be a part of it has to be a part of your 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 camp in some way or another. And you know, one of the beautiful things about this entrepreneur program, I had a, a lady and her son, and her son was on a spectrum. Great artist. She was a great artist. And they were trying to figure out how to do it. And I was explaining to them marketing and, you know, some of the things that they needed to do. And she dropped off a package with me a few weeks later where they actually went out and had postcards and brochures and everything made up based off of the class. And I was like, boy, that was so heartwarming because you realize. She actually took the action to do it. She took the action to do it. Mm -hmm. And so now that we've been doing this for a year, I'm starting, I'm starting to see some of the residual effects of it. And people are actually, and you know, we were at a, an event on a, on a, down on the riverfront, and I saw one of the girls that was in, in, in the workshop, and she had a booth. She said, Mr. Romaine, I'm stepping out of my comfort zone. I got this booth. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And those are the things that it requires Right. For you to step out and make a dent into the art world. Um, and, I, you know, obviously this isn't the format for that, but there's so many things that go into it. And I'm really just glossing over it. But mm -hmm. there's so much more to it than that. Okay. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your time. It's my Thank pleasure. Thank you.
<laughs> and uh, I'm sure you'll have continued success with Thank you. your profession and with Art Inc. and the other events. And Thank you so much. Things you do. Cool. Thanks for listening to Bright Ideas for Your Business with host Amy Blaine. Please leave your feedback and visit strategicadvisorboard.com to get the latest and greatest business advisement on the planet. Follow us on social media for updates, and we'll see you on the next episode.